0: Anybody who's ever watched or helped raise another human being, watching children or being a parent, can be fairly chaotic. For example, tonight, and I am not exaggerating when I say, or last night, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this because my little sleep app told me this. Actually, I could hear the recordings of every time our one-year-old woke up, and I was up with her. So that was one one, three. Four fifteen I was planning to get up at five so as you can imagine four fifteen was really the time that I woke up this morning so if this doesn't go well that's that's why but life in general i mean let's just be honest is is fairly chaotic um, we'd like it not to be we'd like it to be ordered and all together and we try sometimes really hard to make it all you know line up just in perfect sequence so everything works out but between you know demanding bosses or clients that are, are kind of angry or demanding or delays in products, uh, depending on what you do, think a lot of logistics and, and products are delayed these days. Um, maybe, you you know, you hired someone and you hired them to do a job and, and they didn't, come through for you, or they were behind, you know, we're going to get it done by this date, and then two weeks later, they're still not done, and that's, you know, honestly pretty frustrating. Uh, If you turn on the TV, there's just so much fear-mongering and anger and and panic and chaos on there. Uh, Your schedules may be pretty busy. Regardless, I mean, life just in general can feel, certainly at times, or entire seasons of life can feel kind of chaotic, And in the midst of that, there are certainly points that I think we can all agree that we just kind of want to step back. Maybe this is every day for you. You just want to step back and you dream and you think of something like this. You dream of something beautiful and pristine and picturesque without blemish and it just feels relaxing and you just kind of imagine yourself, you know, maybe out here on this little rock just sitting there, you know, taking taking in the sights and, and absorbing the beauty that's around you, and it just—and and you can—I you can, mean, as you put yourself into this picture, maybe some of you could do this to this extent. I mean, you can, like, smell it, you know, and you can hear the, hear the birds chirping. I don't know if there's birds in this picture, but you can hear the trickle of the water flowing, and it just sounds ideal. It sounds peaceful. And we spend— on average as Americans, I didn't do the research, but you just kind of know that if we did the research, this would be the truth, is we spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to get parts of our lives, or at least the vacation parts of our lives, to look like this, to escape the chaos and achieve some form of serenity and, and like, inner peace. And so we spend a lot of time and money on vacations. We spend a lot of time on that big TV or or that big projector in your basement or something like that. You spend hours figuring out how to avoid conflict Because conflict is like the opposite of peace in your mind and in our hearts. And so we try to avoid conflict at all all costs. Sometimes we'll just ignore people outright or we'll break a relationship simply because we don't think that relationship is very peaceful. In some cases, that's a good thing. In other cases, we may have, you know, just not put in the effort that we needed to to make it work. Um, Some of us turn to substances to find peace or relief from life. Uh, we try new workout routines. Uh, we find spiritual advisors promising inner peace just to just to feel some sense of calm in our lives. And if you're like me, if you're like me, you stare at this and it seems good for a while. But if you're like me, eventually you just know they're going to be mosquitoes. And those blood-sucking critters are going to come in, and you're going to be sitting there for five minutes just really soaking it all in, and they're going to you know, bite you on your arm, and then they're just all over, and, and, and you're a target. And, and the beauty of this is going to be stolen away. At least those of us that are a little bit more pessimistic, that's how we see this picture, okay? It's just going to fall, fall completely apart. Anyways, you know, the point being, we all want, regardless of our faith, regardless of, of being in church for a long time or a short time, we all want peace, Right? We all want peace. At our core, we desire our hearts draw us towards peace. We want our kids to get along. We want our relationships to to just work out. We want our neighbors to like us. We want our roommates to like us. Um, We... we, uh, we, we, we try to—sometimes we'll watch, you know, funny TV shows or binge things on Netflix that make us laugh so we feel better. Uh, we want people to smile when they see us because they're genuinely happy that we're there. And, in fact, we really like it if people actually know our names or they remember our names because, you know, simply we just matter. And that just—it feels Right. When that happens, doesn't it? We feel, we feel kind of a sense of peace when we're in a community or, or with people that, that just know us. Um, An example of this uh, that, you know, I, I honestly I wasn't expecting is Stephanie and I went to uh, uh, a really fancy restaurant. I might have talked about this restaurant before, it, out in Seattle when we lived out in Seattle, and um, it, it like, it's a fancy restaurant, okay? It's not like fancy, it's fancy. Okay. And it's it's a kind of uh, restaurant, I, I believe we paid in advance for it, um, and so I think part of the reason for that is because you have this great experience, and then you get to the end, and they give you the bill, and you're like, huh? you know, and so if you pay in advance, then you don't have that experience at the end, so that was really nice. Uh, it was like four hours, um, and there was tons and tons of plates, and, and each little meal was... Um, you know, all super organic. I think they actually the this, the month that we went there, it was everything had to be made inside the restaurant. So they like got seawater and boiled the. The, the water out of it to get the salt. I mean, it's just, just to that extent. I mean, it was very fancy. Um, and uh, there was a guitar player there, but not just a guitar with like six strings. It was a guitar with like a bajillion strings. And you're like, what do you need all those strings for? At that point, just like play a piano or something. But I mean, it was really fancy. And he was great. And he'd sing and serenade everybody. And, and then the real kicker, and this is really what got me, and I tell everybody this when I tell the story, is that every person that worked there This is not exaggeration. Every person that worked there knew my name. Every night, they memorized everybody that was going to dine there. So when I went off to the bathroom, there was a, a waitress on my way serving another table, and she said to me, Hey, Taylor, so glad you're here. I hope you're enjoying your experience. And I'm like you too. I mean, I don't know what time to respond. I don't even know who you are. You don't have a name tag or anything, but you knew my name. And it just, it was this experience that just felt so complete from start to finish. Everything was taken care of. Every detail was meticulous. The quantity of food ended up just to be right. So at the end, it felt like small increments, but by the end you were full, but not like overstuffed. I mean, it was like just absolutely incredible. It was just an incredible experience. And I would describe that experience as somewhat peaceful, and I think that one of the reasons why I personally described that or I saw that as, as a peaceful experience is because, um, because it, 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 was, uh, it uh, embodied what, what I want to talk about the rest of this morning. And, and that is God's version of peace. And occasionally we've touched on this God's version of peace, um, but God's version of peace is actually best encompassed not in our English word peace, but in the ancient Hebrew word for peace, which is, and some of you may know this, is shalom. This is the Hebrew word for peace, or the best equivalent of, the, uh, of our English word of peace. And, and it's important to talk about this word because we have an American version of, of peace, and I think in our American version of peace, we see peace as the absence of conflict, so in the American version of peace, so long as nobody's fighting, so long as it doesn't end in war or, or something where, where people are really physically getting hurt, we don't really register it quite as, uh, or we see that as peace. But, but um, th- that has some shortcomings, and, and you have seen some of those shortcomings. For example, parents. Uh, you've seen parents or couples or even entire countries that may not be at war Right, It may not come to an outright battle, but those countries are not at peace. And inside of a country, some very close to home, inside of a country, they may not be fighting it out, but they are not at peace. There is brokenness and hurt inside of that company or inside of that relationship or inside of that country. And I want to talk about God's version of peace. I want to talk about shalom. I want to talk about this because God's version of peace takes it to, I think, another level. God's version of peace means this by definition, a state of wholeness or completeness. A state of wholeness or completeness. This is the kind of peace that acknowledges that life is complicated, that life is not easy, that there are many parts to life. And when one of those parts is missing, when one of those parts may not even be missing, it's just out of alignment, that shalom life or the whole life breaks down. Use the uh, example of maybe a wall, a brick wall, or a brick side of a building, okay, if you imagine that, okay? And this is an old brick building or a brick wall, okay? And so, so maybe there's some bricks missing. And what happens when a brick is missing? Well, not a whole lot in our perception, right? The perception is a brick's missing, it's just old, and and yet the wall is still standing. So you assume everything's together. But if a brick is missing, then the rest of the bricks around it have to take on its load, which is not always noticeable, but that wall is not as strong as it could have been or was when it was created. In other words, it is not an example of shalom. It is not complete. My, my spine, uh, we, we found out in high school after an injury, there, the middle of, uh, some of my middle vertebrae uh, do not actually fit perfectly together, okay? And so due to, you know, increased amounts of stress and, and not ex- exercising and, and lifting a, a number of children in my life, uh, at the end of the day, my back can really hurt because my vertebrae don't hold up the rest of my body quite as well as a healthy or normal vertebrae would. And in so doing, it is not the complete original intent of what it should have or should be. It is not shalom. It is not complete. In other words, we like the picture, that, that original picture that I showed you with, you know, the, the lavender fields, I think, or lavender flowers in the, in the mountains. We, we like that because it's complete in our minds or what we're not sure is there, we actually fill in the blank. We see the water, and we just assume that there are no bugs because there are none in the picture. We assume there's no bad smells when in reality it could have just been right next to a a trash heap for all we know. But in our minds, we fill it in and make it better, more complete than it actually is. Why? Because I think we are created to, we desire to have that shalom. We desire to have and exist in completeness. And the reason I know that is because if you go back to the creation accounts in the, in the Bible, in the, in the biblical story, Genesis 1 and 2, that is kind of the foundation of what life should, been, should have been. There are many points to the creation story, um, many, many parts of the creation story, uh, many things happening in the creation story, but one of the main points— that most people are not aware, and in a lot of churches growing up or in a lot of Sunday schools, you don't ever talk about this. Because it's a complex idea, and it's, not, it's honestly not a cultural norm for us anymore. It was of the people who lived in those days and, and who um, you know, shared this tradition, this oral tradition, years, which eventually got written down and became the book of Genesis. But um, the author in Genesis, especially 1 and 2, is trying to communicate a very important point. And the very important point is this how things are meant to function, which translates to essentially this, how the world and creation are meant to exist, how Adam, which translates into humankind, and how Eve, which translates into life, how humankind and life are meant to exist with God, how they're meant to function with one another. And in the garden, they existed for a time in harmony, in wholeness, in completeness, with everything around them and with God. They had all they needed to live. They they had all the sustenance they needed to live, all all that they needed really to prosper. And they even had purpose. They had a a job. They had a career path. They were meant to tend the garden and take care of it. And in that world, and then they were meant to live with God. And in that existence, everything was good. As God said time and time again, it's good. It is shalom. Because in Shalom, there is no brokenness inside or out. It's how life was meant to be. And I think if you, maybe not in this moment, when you go home tonight and you're thinking about this, you know, before you go to bed or something, I think if you, you do a deep, you know, analyzing of your heart, you realize, yeah, I, I'm, I'm drawn to those things that are complete or that feel like they complete a parts of me that may have been missing in the past. I'm drawn to that wholeness. Why? Because that's how we were functionally created to exist, in my opinion. And so then... Jesus steps onto the pages of history, and Jesus, God's Son, comes to earth, and one of his purposes among many, one of the parts of the good news that he is bringing to us by coming to earth is to bring shalom, is to bring restoration, is to bring completeness out of something that is broken. You may be familiar, especially if you uh, ever went to Christmas services at church growing up, especially in traditional churches, they will often read um, quotes of prophecy that, uh, of the Old Testament predicting the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And there's a famous line in, um, in Isaiah, it, it's made its way into songs around Christmas time too, uh, and it's that Jesus, many, uh, one of Jesus' many titles is to be the prince of, anybody? Peace. Yeah, he's the prince of peace. And so when Jesus began his ministry, he kicked off this idea of peace, of shalom, of completeness. And and some of you, if you grew up in church and you know kind of your Bible pretty well, he gets up on a mountainside. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he kind of lays out what he's going to be talking about the rest of the time of his ministry. It's called um, the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And um, one of his first things that Matthew documents uh, in in his account of Jesus' life, in Matthew chapter 5, he lays out what we don't necessarily have always read into this, but he actually lays out. Shalom. He lays out completeness and wholeness and what it's meant to be and what he's trying to usher in and bring us to. And so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, most of it just so you can hear it, and then I'm going to put one particular verse up on the screen. But but I just want you to hear it for the most part and and, and let process it as I do. Um, the first part of this is what I want you to hear is the brokenness. What Jesus is going to do at first is he's going to talk about brokenness or incompleteness or the lack of shalom, and then he's going to pair it with what it should be or how he's going to, or God in God's kingdom, is going to be restored or fixed, okay? And so imagine if you were sitting there listening to this and you felt like you fit into one of these categories of of maybe mourning or of hurt or of hunger, and then how Jesus is hoping his intent is to fix it and how completeness would look instead of brokenness so here's how he starts he said blessed are the poor in spirit the poor in spirit if you've ever been bullied you know what it feels like to feel poor in spirit there's a lot of interpretations about what poor in spirit means but for me like one of the most innate senses of of not being rich in the spirit is when you are harmed by someone else Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn brokenness and completeness, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, again, brokenness, and their thirst, and and those who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So he's talking about, how can I bring it into peace? And then he kind of switches into this next section, and he talks about those who actually bring peace through, me, through, through good and, and righteous means. He wants to address those people who are merciful, who um, are peacemakers, who are righteous. Here's what he says. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To those who are broken, who are hurting, who are oppressed, Jesus wants to make you whole again. For those of you who are doing the right things, Jesus wants to affirm that you are doing the right things and wants you to continue and wants to bless you in your righteousness. Works. Jesus wants to make you whole again. Think about this. Think about being a peacemaker. Think about someone who makes peace or makes shalom or makes things whole again. Because this takes work. Jesus was intentional with his words. He, you have to make peace. Peace just doesn't necessarily come naturally. Psalms, I think 34, talks about in one of the verses how you have to pursue peace. It doesn't just happen. And we hope it happens. That's why we ignore it. And we just think one day, eh, everything's just going to work out, or one day we're going to you know, be able to reconcile. It takes work. Somebody has to initiate it. Somebody has to work at it. Peacemakers, because they will be children of God. Think about the moments in your life, if you can, where you have brought peace, where you have brought wholeness from brokenness. If you have ever had a child who has skinned their knee or, or is hurting, and you have made them feel better and feel loved, and you see it in their eyes that they know that they're safe, that they're found, that they're valuable, that they're cared about, is that not an incredible experience? Is it not an incredible experience to help someone who's hurting, who's broken, or to feel that same love and embrace and value of someone um, or, or on the receiving end that you have felt loved or cared about? You feel a bit more whole again? Doesn't that feel good to participate in that? It feels right, doesn't it? It just feels right. It feels sometimes almost divine, that something incredible just happened when the broken are made whole. That's shalom. And why do I talk about all of that? Why are we bringing this up? Because if I asked you, switching gears here just a little bit, if I asked you to imagine the stereotypical perfect Christian, the stereotypical perfect Christian, in your imagination, in your mind, as you think about that stereotype, do you think peacemaker? Do you think someone whom peace just follows. They make the broken whole. Or do you think, when you think perfect Christian, someone who's a good Bible reader, who can quote a verse at just about anything, who behaves better than everybody else, who dresses really good, especially on Sunday mornings, you know, they get up there, button up, and they wear their nice jeans and nice shoes or something like that, you know, the perfect Christian. Is that who you think about? Or do you think a stereotypical Christian is a peacemaker? Regardless of how you answer that, I just suggest to you that that the followers of Jesus, that followers of Jesus, in other words, followers of the Prince of Peace, Christians should be peacemakers. Regardless, Christians should be peacemakers. Jesus' ministry taught us time and time again how to live at peace with one another. Jesus constantly talked about how he wanted to bring God's wholeness to one another through his teachings, through his modeling, through his values, and through his priorities. Jesus sacrificed himself. Why? So that we could have peace, wholeness, completeness with God. Jesus prayed that God's will, God's perfect and holy will of peacemaking, of reconciling the wrong, of healing the broken, would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That peace should flow from those people who pursue God's justice and love. If you go to Israel um, today, uh, or even just in general Jewish communities Um, oftentimes they will greet you with the greeting of shalom. Now, granted, part of that has become kind of a cultural norm, but the intent behind it is to greet you or even say goodbye to you, blessing you with God's version of peace. Because that's what God calls us to. That's how we were intended to exist and live. But we've sometimes gotten off track. And one of the ways I think we get off track when it comes to peace is because we get the order mixed up. We think that peace is a result. Peace is an outcome. But peace is not a result, or excuse me, peace is not the goal. My bad, got that confused. Peace is not a goal. We think peace is the goal. We got to make it, right? No, peace is a result, not the goal. The goal is, going back to, I think, week one or week two of this series, the goal is love. The goal is asking, what does love require of me? If you want to get to peace, you've got to start with love. Peace comes in a healthy relationship, in a healthy community, through years and years of loving one another. Peace is a result. Healthy friendships over decades come because love has taken front and center in people's lives. Societies and cultures that experience peace and happiness and joy is because they focus on justice and compassion for the least of these. In other words, love. Organizations, and this is hard, but organizations companies and groups that care for people more than their bottom line tend to be seen as peacemakers. Why? Because they love. Because you know they care. Because you seem to matter more to them than anything else. Because that's how God intended it to be. Now, I've known people, and I will put myself in this very same bucket. I'm not putting myself greater. I'll put myself in the same bucket. I know people that want peace. I want peace between myself and my wife, Stephanie. I feel that in my heart. A deep desire to have peace in our relationship. But to be honest, there are times when I don't want to love my wife. Not because I don't love her, but because I'm angry. Or because I just want to be right. That's a really big thing for me. I just just want to be right. Or indignant. Can you have peace, wholeness? Can you fix what has been broken when you want those things? No. When you don't want to put love first and foremost... No, forgiveness and patience and kindness come from love. They're parts of love. Without love, peace that makes all things whole and complete won't be possible. And so part of this, everyone here and watching online, part of this is you got to decide, do you really want peace? Do you really want peace? It's a decision. Do you really want it to exist? Or do you just want to be angry? Or do you just want to be right? You just want to complain. You just want to tell everybody else about your problems and how your problems are worse than their problems. And you want to spread gossip and vent to everybody. I'm not saying that talking through your problems isn't a good idea sometimes. It's just, you know, it gets to a healthy place, an unhealthy place sometimes. And when that happens, I just want to encourage you to ask yourself the question do you really want to have peace? Or if you're around somebody else, this is easier to see because it's always easier to see it in other people than it is in ourselves. But when you're around other people who are gossiping, who are angry, who are bitter, who are indignant. What if, what if you went to them, your neighbor, and said, I hear all that you're saying. I hear that you wish it was better. But let me ask you, do you really want peace? Do you really want it? Because if you don't, then are you not just as much of the problem? Are you not just as equally responsible for contributing to the fact that God's shalom is not present in that relationship? That's why Paul talks about, and I've said this time and time again, that Paul talks about trying to strive for peace at all costs. As far as it depends on you, strive for peace. But sometimes other people don't want to. But as far as it depends on you, do you really want peace? So the next time you're faced with anger or bitterness or judgment or hurt or whatever it may be, ask yourself the question, do you really want peace? Ask your neighbor the question, do you really want peace or do you just want to be mad? And if it's yes, if the answer to this question is yes, I really want peace, then let me ask you this, why not pursue peace? Peace. If you really deep down want wholeness, the brokenness to be fixed, why not pursue fe- peace? Or, to make it more specific, why not pursue the prince of peace? Jesus. Why not pursue the prince of peace if you really want peace? Because you know. You know money and vacations and things and avoiding conflict and, and uh, you know, is really just ultimately a partial relief. It's just a band-aid. It doesn't actually fix anything. It's not really shalom. So why why not pursue the one who created you to desire that wholeness? Why not pursue him? Why not start with him? Because when you do... You can experience inner peace, and it is so much easier to share that with others when it's overflowing from you because you have it right with your heavenly Father. And my friends, as life goes on, as life is chaotic and and sometimes scary and, and fearful, you know, creates fear in your heart, you can go forward knowing when sin and sickness and death are knocking at the doors of your life because eventually they will, you can have peace. You can know that you're safe and complete because of who you trust in and the promises he made to you. You get to experience life where the holes in your heart that are currently filled with worry and insecurity and anger are made whole again through faith in him, the one who has complete love for you. So why not pursue the Prince of Peace? He who created it and he who modeled it. Why not pursue him? And for those of you in this room who consider yourself Jesus followers, who consider yourself Christians, especially if you consider yourself a perfect Christian, I want to ask you this question Does a pattern, a pattern of peace, follow me? Does a pattern of God's shalom follow me? Because most of us can pull off doing one or two things, you know, that bring wholeness or peace once or twice a month, maybe once or twice a week. Some of us are fairly good at it. We can pull it off, but not over time, not consistently And I'm advocating that there is a pattern of peace that follows you. There is a pattern of you running into hardships and challenges, you running into situations where the wall is not complete, the wall is not whole, it's not peaceful, it's not God's shalom. In fact, in the Old Testament, they talk about walls being shalom, being complete and whole. You see these situations in people or in relationships, and out of those, and it may not be right away, it may not be that you always have instant fixes, but over time, there is a pattern of peace that follows you and your actions. Or is there a pattern of hurt and anger and bitterness that follow you, of brokenness that follow you? I don't ask you this so you feel ashamed and bad. I ask you this to be honest with yourself because as Christians, as Jesus followers, that's what we are to embody as Jesus embodied it for us. Because parents and and, uh, friends and family members who love each other, who choose to love each other, and love each other as God intended us to love each other, should have peace as the result. And finally, as a church, I always ask myself this question. As a church, are we doing the loving thing? Is there a pattern of peace that follows us as a community of people, as a community who declares to everybody else that we are Jesus followers? Do they see us, Christian or not, as people of peace? Do they say, you know what, I don't get the Jesus part, I don't get the faith part, I don't get the God part, I don't get the communion part, I don't get any of that part, but I like those people. They're good people. They're not weird people, they're just good, fine, kind people. And they do things for us even when we don't ask. And they're generous to a fault. And they all go to the same place on Sunday. It's in a school, which is weird, kind of cool, and I don't know. But they're just, they're good people. They're peace, wholesome people that see something that's broken and fix it. They're the kind of people who you want to hang out with. You want to come visit. You want to be together. Because even in our hurt, in our vulnerableness, they're there to care for us. That is the kind of community that God started through Jesus thousands of years ago, and that's the kind of community we should be of good, shalom creating people or church. That's what we need to be. We need to be peaceful people who constantly ask the question, what does love require of me? If you would, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you are not a distant God, that you are a God who sent his son to be near. To walk among us, to teach among us, to bring a lifestyle to us that that maybe we're not used to that we haven't seen in our childhood homes or we haven't seen in the relationships we have now or in our, our workplaces. But, but you brought a version of life, of shalom that we were meant to live. You created it and you, ref- you fixed it. You restored it. You renewed it through Jesus. Thank you that you came close to do that. You came here to earth to do that. Lord, help those of us who struggle To find wholeness inside, who struggle to know that we're loved by you, who struggle to really trust you and your love. Help us to take a step towards you today, to realize that you are a God that wants to fix that which is broken that which is maybe sometimes broken inside of us, to pay for that which we have broken, our sins, to teach us, to show us how much you care and love us, that you came to show the world that you loved us, not to condemn us, but to love and save us. Help us to trust in that. For those, of you, for those of us who have been following you for a long time, that maybe have gotten astray from this, who have forgotten what it means to make peace, what it, what it for, feels like or that we've forgotten that we need to, to be what, you, what your son preached on the side of that mountain, to be merciful, to be righteous, to be kind, to realize that the least of these are not less than. They just need a hand up to be that for those people. to to restore the broken in your name to glorify you. Help us to be those kinds of Christians and help us, Lord, to be a church that exemplifies that, that shares that with one another. Give us the strength and the wisdom and the community of people around us to do that. In your name I pray. Amen.